We've got a few people in so far. Tweeted out the link. Baller SP, one of our halftime uh, most devout listeners. Appreciate you cop, uh, popping over here, man. Already in the queue. Baller SP already has a call. Um, so, Christian, we definitely will have a lot of people calling in. Um, we are going to – Mirio's on the call as well. All right, very nice. Appreciate everyone coming in already. Excited for the debut of Please Don't Aggregate This. Um, for those who don't know me, my name is Jake Fisher. Um, I'm a Bleacher Report uh, NBA reporter. Um, very pleased today to be joined by a buddy of mine, Christian Clark, the excellent New Orleans Pelicans beat writer, for NOLA.com. We're going to have a lot to get to today. Um, I, but before we get started, before I uh, thank and introduce Christian here more, more more formally and more deeply, I just want to thank everyone so far who's joined in. Um, and another thank you to Zach and to the whole Colin team for uh, giving me this platform to keep doing this live audio chat with uh, you know, the NBA fans at large and specifics like i'm sure we're gonna get a lot of pelicans listeners in here today so thank you everyone who you know rocked with us through the deadline back in february um we hope to create a pretty great show here for you guys twice a week and kind of build up the momentum again towards the draft and for agency where we know that's kind of where fans want all the all the news and the rumors so for now um i think the most one of the more interesting storylines in the league is Obviously, the, the final spots of the, of the playing tournament kind of faking themselves out. The East is, is all locked up, which is kind of a matter of seeding. But out in the West, we've got a really – I mean, it seems all, all, but, all but not written in stone that the Lakers are going to be missing the postseason um, altogether, most likely the playing tournament as well, um, thanks to the New Orleans Pelicans first rushing up there at the number nine seed and then – the San Antonio Spurs coming up here the last couple of days and games as the Lakers spiral has continued and to talk everything in New Orleans, which you know I think will inevitably focus a lot on Zion Williamson and his status and tenure with the Pelicans, being that his stepfather, Lee Anderson, made a, a curious appearance on local radio today. Um, we've got Christian Clark here who, like I said at the top, just does an excellent job covering the team. And uh, I think he's honestly one of the better beat writers for a specific team beat in the league. So, Christian, thank you again for joining, man. Um, excited to have you. And I'm, I'm really fascinated to kind of pick your brain about what's going on in one of probably one of the more quiet stories in terms of the way it's being covered. But it's certainly a topic that comes up a lot in my intel calls around the league being what is the future of this Pelicans team, particularly with the big Z in the middle. Uh, yeah, man, we, uh, we scheduled to do this thing, um, I think yesterday, uh, and it was a little bit of a newsy morning. Um, you know, I guess for, for folks who don't live in the area or, or weren't following it that closely, um, Lee Anderson, Zion's stepfather, um, did an interview with uh, a Baton Rouge radio host named Jordi Collada, who's got an online show. And it was the first time that, that Lee has talked publicly in a really, really long time. I mean, it was really the first time we've heard from Zion or, you know, any member of his immediate circle on the record since September, which is when Zion talked at media day. And like, this is all coming against the backdrop of like the Pelicans magic number to make the playing tournament as one game. I mean, tonight, like they can clinch a spot in the playing tournament 
with a win over the Kings or a Lakers loss. And like, you know, like, you know, they're, they're 10 games under 500 right now. I'm not saying they've lit the world on fire, but it is pretty significant, man, because of just the way the season started. Like they were one and 12 at one point. So this team really does have some positive momentum going. They were one and 12 at one point, but also like clearly the most dilapidated team in the league. Um, and the whispers were, were not whispers. They were loud murmurs, shouts behind the scenes, if you will, um, about executive vice president David Griffin and, and his status and his standing there. Um, being that you know, obviously the Zion tenure has been rocky to say the least, um, with the relationship between him and his front office and Zion family. Um, and also being that, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to go under the radar ha- hiring three coaches in four years or having three coaches in four years. Um, and, and the way the Stan Van Gundy situation, um, probably got even over. I mean, it wasn't the same in terms of interpersonal strife of Nate Bjorken up in Indiana, but um, in, in terms of uh, a, a lack of ceremonious fit of personality between new coach and integral players, it was it was pretty bad with, with Stan in terms of where New Orleans was. So the fact that they were able to kind of put all of that in the rear view and there's talk now about how Willie Green has had such a successful first year. Um, I, I, I think, I mean, every time I see a Pelicans win, there's like some um, like fun post-game group celebration on the court and Jose has been a fun story. It's just kind of been a miraculous turnaround. Like you said, they haven't done anything that they're not, they're not the hottest team in the league. They're not, rushing up the standings to the point where we think they've got a threat uh, to win the Western Conference. But for this team to not only make the play-in, but even be hosting a game with some postseason and national TV, um, you know, experience and env- environment on hand, like that's actually probably going to end up feeling like a, a massive win for this team and this franchise. Oh, definitely. And it, and I think, you know, you kind of hit on what a, what a difference is there's been in the past two years because you know, last year with Stan as head coach and, and going through that pandemic season, I mean, the vibes really could not have been worse. I mean, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff you can't even really share, but I mean, the vibes were just completely awful. Like some of those players, uh, you know, it was only Zoom. So like we weren't really getting to talk to him in person, but like, dude, some of those players looked like they were serving sentences on those Zooms last year. Like it was just brutal, man. I mean, nobody was having fun and it's it's a complete 180 this year, man. I mean, it's just a completely different thing. Like in the, the post game interviews, like Brandon Ingram will go in there and like, you know, he's really good friends with Najee Marshall and, and Jose Alvarado. And like those dudes will be in there, like kind of messing with them. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, this front office has talked about like trying to, to build a culture or whatever. And, you know, it took some time and there were uh, some <laughs> severe growing pains, but they've kind of did that. Like they, it took them three years, but I really do think they've, They've started to, to lay a foundation upon which, you know, they can build on at least. And there, there's a lot to be criticized. I, I see answer the answer 99. One of my favorites back from our halftime days is kind of pull, pulling uh, or pouring cold water saying, you know, they're 10 games under 500, which I understand. But trust me, we're going to get to the the darker side of the story momentarily. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to kind of give credit where credit is due being that, I do think what they did at the deadline was kind of 
a massive haul and far better of an outcome than I thought the Pelicans were going to end up stepping away from, at least. I mean, it's hard to suss out the validity of a lot of Pelicans transaction discussions that happen behind the scenes where it seems like they talk a lot and a lot of conversations go nowhere. And um, I, and the CJ McCollum acquisition seemed to be something that, I mean, from my understanding, was at the top of the Pelicans' wish list in terms of what was available on the market and what they needed and what they were willing to pay and how the prices were going to line up. I mean, there definitely was some De'Aaron Fox discussions. Um, you know, off the top of my head, maybe you can kind of fill in some blanks here, Christian. I don't really remember any two, uh, any other names outside of those two in terms of like massive pieces that I think the Pelicans are really pursuing and to get CJ, who's someone that, you know, the Port- Portland had a death grip under basically under the Neil O'Shea tenure um, for the low cost that they got him for and also add a little piece like Larry Nance. Um, I'm not surprised that the Pelicans have surged kind of, I mean, surge again, we want to use a little bit of muted language being that they're not, you know, scorching up the standings by any stretch, but the fact that they're a legitimate playing team now versus they were the worst team in the league come December. Um, I, I do kind of have to take my hat off to the front office for that, for that deadline activity being, it seems like a massive clear, value win for new orleans yeah for sure man i mean uh you know like just looking at cj's numbers like i'm not sure that anybody i don't know i mean i i think he's even exceeded the team's expectations which were pretty high like he i think he's shown enough in these 22 games he's been with the pelicans like him unleash that lead guard is a really really nice player like 26 a game you know 50 percent shooting 40 percent from three six assists like he was having a sacrifice when he played with Dame, and I think there are just parts of his game that that we didn't, you know, we just didn't see in Portland because he was having to share that backcourt. And the other part of you know the acquisition too is, uh, you know, I think I, I heard from some people who were like, well, is he is he thrilled about going to New Orleans? And I mean, I just based on you know what things I've heard him say, things I've heard behind the scenes, like he's been like a hundred percent all the way in from from day one of that trade. I mean, he, he played like the day after the trade went through on like five hours of sleep. You know, he talked about the importance of just like getting into it right away. I mean, I, I think this has worked out really well so far. And it's kind of interesting if you go back to it. I think you're right that the two names, you know, the two big fish that they were going for were De'Aaron Fox and CJ. And honestly, I think if like the, the trade packages, you know, if they could have offered the same thing. Uh-oh, Christian, do we still have you? Christian Clark, are you there? Someone do me a favor in the comments. It's not just me. Christian's still here. Oh, okay, his name. We'll see if Christian can pop back in shortly. Um, here he is. Invite to speak. Christian Clark. No. Okay. Well, one thing that Christian did just mention um, before he cut off 
And I'll be curious to kind of unpack this with him too when we can get him back on stage here. Um, oh, now he's muted. Christian, unmute yourself, my guy. Okay, am I back in? You're here. All right. So oh. we lost you right kind of about played on five hours of sleep. He's back. He's in town, saying all the right things, being a consummate pro. Where else were you headed with that point? Yeah, and I was just going to say, too, I mean, I think you're right that the, the two big fish that they were pursuing were CJ and De'Aaron Fox. And I think if, you know, the Pelicans could have offered the same package, like if those guys were gettable at the same price, I actually think, you know, I, I think the team would have leaned toward De'Aaron Fox just because he's a little bit, you know, he's younger. Um, he's under contract for a few more years than CJ. Um, so it just, man, it just seemed so far, it just seemed like it kind of worked out in their favor. Um, I mean, I think CJ is probably just a better player than, than Darren right now. Um, so it's an interesting uh, sliding doors moment. And, and to be fair also, you know, the ripple effects of, maybe not the ripple effects, but the, the chain of events that end up leading to a trade being completed are never so binary to say it was either Darren or CJ, right? There was, I think no outcome where the Kings were going to ultimately move both of De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. Like maybe in a scenario where a different guard would have been coming back. But I, I think most of the Kings. Um, I, th- I think most of the Kings big swing discussions were about swapping one of their two guards for a front court partner like Demonis Sabonis or Miles Turner. Um, they had conversations about Jeremy Grant, um, and that's all the names that come to mind right now. <laughs> it's crazy how long the, the deadline feels. Um, but so I, I think ultimately once that Halliburton Sabonis deal went through, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I am pretty sure that deal went down first. I wasn't surprised the, the McCollum deal got put together pretty quickly um, for New Orleans being that also the Knicks came involved at, at late probably around the 11th hour, I would say, like, like, I mean, I don't know. If I recall correctly, I think the Knicks came in around Sunday and Mark Stein reported it. And Monday, I'd really started to hear also Atlanta was being involved. Um, and I think that was kind of like a last-ditch effort for the, from the Blazers to try to draw up other trade interests outside New Orleans because they had the Pelicans on the hook all along. CJ seemed to be their clear choice, even with those De'Aaron conversations. But I do think clearly once De'Aaron was um, not necessarily off the table but wasn't really an option anymore because I do think the Kings would still continue to explore De'Aaron Fox trade situations. Um The Pelicans had the best offer for Portland in terms of draft capital and I mean, the Blazers clearly were looking for non-guaranteed money, and the the, the Hawks had a similar package where uh, Danilo Gallinari uh, has some uh, non-guaranteed money for next season. Um, and there was another, maybe it was DeLon Wright, if I recall, um, like a ten million dollar contract that was not that was only either expiring or non-guaranteed next year. Um, but yeah, I, I was hearing those whispers too about the fact that CJ wasn't necessarily thrilled about the premise of going there, you know, to your point about how he's kind of fit in so, so well, like he is just like kind of the concept professional. Like he's, he's the union president. Um, it was kind of curious to see 
his comments that he made on TNT over All-Star Weekend, kind of calling out Zion, like you and I talked about on the ground there in Cleveland, being that that's kind of not the way he conducts himself. Like, CJ is pretty typically a pretty boring quote. And I mean that for, like, like to, that's a good thing for from a PR standpoint, right? That he's not really going to say anything that's going to kind of create too many headlines and, and, and waves. But um, I, I'm not surprised that he's necessarily got there and kind of taken on a leadership role and been whatever, everything that the Pelicans have needed because they kind of have been a young, plucky group of upstarts that's needed a, a real veteran on the court that can move them forward. Like JJ Redick and Derek Sabres were kind of supposed to be those guys, right? But they were on the last legs of their career. They weren't really, I mean, Drew Holiday, once he got dealt to, to Milwaukee, like the Pelicans really kind of needed a player on the court who was capable of being kind of a peer to Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson when healthy, who actually could kind of walk the walk and back up the talk. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think the leadership thing is is so interesting because, like, I think JJ was probably like saying a lot of the same things as CJ behind closed doors, and like, you know, generally, I think giving good advice. But like, you have to be, I think, good enough too for like, you know, like the Brandons and the Zions and guys of that caliber to like really take it to heart. You know, if that makes sense. Like, you like you can be as hard of a worker as you want, and like Jesus. I mean, especially his first year in New Orleans, he was. He was really good, but he was a he was a really good role player. Like CJ is like, you know, a, a bona fide star. And I think I think those comments he made at, at All Star Weekend were were pretty significant, man. Um, I mean, it was I guess the Saturday he was doing an interview with uh, Kenny Smith and those guys, and you know they asked him like, "Hey, man, you've been here like a week and a half. Have you gotten the chance to talk to Zion?" He goes, "No, like we haven't we haven't spoken directly yet. Uh, I've reached out to to." you know, some people around him and uh, I'm going to get to the bottom of it. Um, I mean, it, it's, it said a lot to me, you know, like the guy had been there more than a week, like president of the players association, like, you know, certified bucket getter, like for them to, to not even have a phone call or exchange text in, you know, that amount of time, like to me that, that said something to me. And I think what CJ said kind of opened the door for JJ a few days later, you know, to go on first take and basically say like, Hey Zion, he's pretty much been a detached teammate the entire time he's been here and just say like, you know, if you want to be there, like you need to be a little bit more responsive. And uh, look, I'm not saying that was why uh, Zion came back uh, to, to New Orleans from Portland uh, a few weeks later. But um, I don't know if you wanted to, to get your conspiracy hat out, like you could, maybe you could say CJ smoked him out a little bit. Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was really savvy. I'll say that. Yeah. And so let's bring it to the, uh, 300 pound elephant in the room. Um, I, I don't know what Zion's playing condition is. I haven't seen the guy in person. I haven't really been asking people around the situation about it at all. Just being that it's not something that I think we're ever going to get a real straight answer on when we have never gotten a straight answer on his health and playing status during his entire tenure in New Orleans. And, uh, well, at this point, you know, until, like, my current uh, standpoint on making calls on that dynamic is basically, like, when it's when it, when it starts coming up, that's when I'll look into it again. Because I think there's just, there's an obvious bookmark or um, endpoint or inflection point, whatever you want to say, about Zion's 
Pelicans tenure with these extension talks upcoming here, and like the, there's going to end up being talk about it at some point. But for now, I've just kind of been really fascinated sitting back and watching this kind of subtle war. I don't want to use like that terminology. Um, no, a former a former one. former team employee texted me that it was a cold war. It was kind of half yeah. kidding, half serious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of it's kind of a it's a staring contest with a lot of blinking, and we're waiting to see which side does something else after the blink, you know. And I mean, clearly, from the Instagram post, which you know, I remember back when I first started um, covering the league, I was a, a a capital J journalism student while also being a blog boy at. Liberty Ballers at Espionation covering the Sixers process years. And I just remembered thinking how funny it was, even as like a true, a tried and true, I'm spending way too much money to get a bachelor's degree in journalism student, that <laughs> like the Philly Inquirer and the old, um, you know, legacy outlets weren't covering this aspect of the game. When Zion Williamson has been out all season long, post dunk off the backboard through his legs or whatever it was, like that, that, that means something. And I, I mean, that coupled with um, the fact that there's been reports that he is def- basically definitively out for the year, uh, while there's definitely rumblings around the league that he wants to play and his stepfather comes out and, um, and says this on the radio show today that, you know, he expects him to be able to play and blah, blah, blah. Like, clearly there's two sides here of Zion Williamson wants to play basketball for the Pelicans and the Pelicans aren't letting him. Yeah. I mean, so two weeks ago, actually today, uh, you know, that, that video that you talked about came out and it was Zion in the practice facility. This appeared to be like, you know, after hours or whatever, like he wasn't, he wasn't there like immediately after practice. And he just posted like a two second clip of him doing this crazy dunk. And that was it. There was no caption. It was just a two second clip to his Instagram story. You know, around that time, you know, I reported that, that he had told people, you know, that his, that his surgically repaired right foot feels good and that he wants to get back on the court this season, which, you know, makes sense. If you're, if your right foot feels good and like he's 21, you know, he, he like, he likes the lights. He likes playing ball. Um, like that all makes sense to me. And I think, you know, I've just heard consistently for, for weeks now from the team, like, look, that's that's great. And, you know, you, you like to see that. But, like, we just – we need to make sure that all these boxes are checked before he gets back in the court to make sure, you know, the risk of him re-injuring right foot, his right foot is, is as minimal as possible. So, honestly, I, I think we kind of see some parallels between, you know, what went on during Zion's rookie year. I mean, he – tore the lateral meniscus his right knee in the preseason of his rookie year. And the team initially put a six to eight week timetable on it. Well, it took 13 weeks for Zion to get back in the court. And that was because, you know, like the rehab was not going swimmingly. Uh, it was just not going great. And the team was like, Hey, look, man, you gotta, you gotta do these things before you get back in the court. Um, and it took Zion a while to do those things. Um, so I think you could, you could definitely draw some similarities between what's going on now and, and what went on back then. And back then, it was pretty clear that Zion was frustrated by that and felt like, I mean, the word you would always hear was training wheels, that he felt kind of, um, you know, limited and being and almost babied in a sense, and that um, 
it was it, it, it's something that I think was a feeling and a thought process that's kind of been harbored and hasn't gone away. Like every time he's been hurt, I think there's been some type of, even if it hasn't necessarily been like dramatic, there's been some type of tension or frustration about um, the actual rehab plan and the timetable for his recovery. Yeah, definitely. And and one specific thing he just hated, which he even said publicly, was the burst limits. Uh, yeah. I, if you think back to his NBA debut against the Spurs, I mean, he just caught fire in that fourth quarter. He hit four threes in, in the fourth quarter, like just completely in the zone. And he got pulled with like six minutes left in that game. And the Pelicans lost, you know, a really close game. I mean, you could just tell, like, he was he was incensed about it. Like, he was like, Oh my gosh, you made me, you guys, like I had to do all these things to get back in the court. And like, I'm, I'm having this absolute heater in my NBA debut. You guys don't let me finish this game and we lose. So that was, I think a pretty significant moment in all of this. So you said that, you know, the messaging from Pelicans people about the situation right now has been that they just don't want him to be out there until he has finally, um, check the last boxes to feel, you know, medically confident in the structure of the foot. What are those boxes? Do we have an idea? Have, have they shed any particular light on that? Um, man, that's a, a really good question. So, I mean, the team just left on this, or they left a couple of days ago on this four game West coast road trip and Zion road trip is the first time he'd gone on a road trip with the team, you know, in months. Um, and, you know, at the start of the road trip, he was doing one-on-one, basically. Um, and, you know, I think he slowly progressed. Um, it, it, you know, it's just been it's just been really steady. And it, it was this way at the beginning of the year, too, by the way. I mean, it was kind of at the beginning of the season when he and Griff were like, hey, he'll be ready for the regular season opener. Like, and he wasn't. It was just steady progression. And in early December, he was supposed to go through his full practice, uh, but he began, you know, experiencing soreness in his right foot and then he had to have the injection so like i think they're just making sure like you know like make sure there's no soreness as we progress from one-on-one to two-on-two to three-on-three to five-on-five get a couple practices under your belt at least and then if there's no soreness or anything like that if it feels good you're good to go um but you've just got to you know methodically get there and you know one thing i'll say too is um i don't know like it's it's kind of uncomfortable to just talk about the weight stuff um, without like yeah. sounding mean spirited or anything like that, but I guess I'll try to do as best as I can. So what I've heard from the team side is ideally, ideally Zion would play games at 265. I think, you know, obviously he was not in good shape when he showed up to training camp. Um, I think since he came back from Portland, everything I heard is he looks pretty good and he's trending in the right direction. I still don't think he's too that figure people on the team would like, but I think it's better, you know? And like, this is, this has been an issue since day one. Like I go, I go back to summer league and coach K like said on the record, like this guy's just not in shape to, to play. So this has kind of been an issue throughout his Pelicans tenure, which you know hopefully is getting better and getting corrected. From conversations I've had over the years, it sounds like the weight issues have been mostly dietary. Um, and that's not an easy thing to um, I'm trying to pick my words carefully for the same reasons you just said. Um, it's not as easy to um, work with when the player 
and when Zion's not in, you know, peak cardio ability or capabilities, right? Um, so, I mean, there's kind of, just like the stories of Joel Embiid eating, you know, three dinners back when he was a rookie in his time in Philly. Like, those were kind of the stories of Zion, like having six hamburgers at a time back in his rookie season, um, which I, 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 I don't, again, this is just kind of like the lore surrounding the situation. But usually when, when people on the team are talking all about that, that stuff is, is typically accurate. So um, I just, I'm curious to see ultimately if there can ever be some type of um, progression with his body being that there are certain players. I mean, Luka Doncic is one right now where he seems to come in every offseason, every preseason out of shape and plays his way into it. And he's ultimately an MVP candidate by the end of the season. So maybe, maybe it's not necessarily um, a giant issue for certain players. But well, it's interesting you bring up Doncic too, man, because like I was, I was having a conversation with the team Poy at the beginning of the season where we you're talking about Luka. And I was like, the guy's just not in shape. Like he showed up out of shape and it's like hindering him. And the guy was like, no, he just, he just plays big. And I think he's proven over the next few months, like he got into shape and then he looks like one of the best players in the league. So it's he's a, done the last two years. He's done it's a real thing. <laughs> yeah. It's a real it's thing. thing. I mean, look, a lot of guys, I don't know how many, I don't want to speak for too many players, but a lot of players definitely look at their off season as their time to relax and their time to be on their own time. Like the, back to the old uh, Shaq quote when he got surgery right, right before the preseason that year with the Lakers. You know, he's, he's not paid by the Lakers during his off season. So, I mean, that is how a lot of people choose, <laughs> choose to spend their time. I mean, other guys are in the gym left and right and do what they can. But especially when you're uh, an all-star, someone who's pretty much um, walking in to a, a guaranteed max contract, you can kind of take some liberties with your offseason. Um, all right, Ball RSP's been waiting. He just, met, he, he just went in the comments. That We'll, uh, that's, we'll leave a bookmark there because that's kind of the next evolution of the Zion conversation, what he will do this offseason. Um, but first, we're going to take this call. The first call, um, please don't aggregate this on the call on app from our good buddy, Baller SP. Uh, let's see. Baller SP, are you there? You're All right, can you hear me now? There you go. How are All you, right. Baller SP? Jake, good to talk to you. How are you doing? You too, man. Good too, man. I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. Now, uh, I got to say, you know, I was a little mad at you for a bit for what you were saying about, you know, Harden before the trade and everything. But uh, you got me back on board today. We had a nice little article about uh, possibly <laughs> Doc Rivers going to the Lakers after the season. Um, so what, I wanted to ask about that. And I wanted to ask, is, is that in any way indicative of the Sixers and Doc Rivers possibly heading towards a breakup depending on how this season goes look there's there's two different teams that doc has been linked to with the lakers and utah um and i think the moment that james harden got traded to philadelphia um there were whispers about the possibility of dale morey uh potentially bringing on mike d'antoni to you know maximize harden and Joel Embiid together just like he did with Harden, um, at least as a sole act down in Houston. 
Um, and honestly, the Mike D'Antoni chatter about the potential for him to come to Philadelphia has been there really ever since Daryl Morey took over in Philadelphia. Um, I mean, I someone in the league even posed to me the possibility, especially after Doc um, and what he said after Game 7 um, to that loss with Atlanta, you know, his comments were repeatedly being said as part of the part of the influence for Benson was not wanting to return to the Sixers, right? And yeah, Doc was he, Doc was right though. Then he was, um, but in the preseason, even then, people were saying to me, you know, they wouldn't be surprised if Daryl moved on from Doc, kind of as like a mea culpa with Ben, and as a way to um, show that they're willing to help make it work and create an environment that would um, be more welcoming to Ben to come back. Um, now, obviously that didn't happen and Doc's been there and he's, he's there right now. And so, yes, it, it is kind of curious to have, hear his name being linked to other teams being that he is currently employed with Philly, but to really answer your question. Yeah. I, I think especially as they dropped a couple games in a row and the whole aspect of the late game, um, substitutions and rotations and his overall kind of stubbornness with his rotations and whatnot. Like there's definitely a lot of talk that he could end up being, I mean, not just Philly. I mean, there's going to be at least one team of Chicago, Philly, uh, Brooklyn, Boston, Milwaukee, and Miami that, that doesn't make it out of the first round. I mean, it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be an absolute bloodbath in the Eastern conference. So, if the Sixers are one of the teams that will get to the conference finals, let alone the finals, um, no, I, I definitely think there's a scenario where Doc is the scapegoat, kind of similar to how Frank Vogel has been in Los Angeles. All right, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And, um, yeah, I mean, Doc, I don't think he's uh, helped the situation too much himself, um, specifically with his backup center decisions. But I appreciate that. Um, so yes, thanks, Jake. You got it. Christian, right. is that you with the train in the background? <laughs> it is, man. I'm sorry. I was figuring out how to mute my phone, but yeah, there's a, uh, a train going by right now. That's all good, man. Um, okay. Well, all right. We, 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 come back from our Sixers commercial break. Um, so I was on the phone with somebody yesterday who, you know, was saying someone in the league who was saying a cynic would look at the Zion situation. And again, I am not reporting this. Please don't aggregate this. <laughs> I, a cynic would say that Zion wanting to play and the Pelicans not wanting him to play would point to the fact that Zion would be looking to advertise himself to other teams ahead of a potential contract extension conversation this summer. And the Pelicans ha- would have a vested interest in him not being injured in the circumstances where they would potentially look to trade him if that was something that, you know, ultimately both sides wanted to come to, which, you know, people have been wondering and speculating about the long-term marriage there and if it will come to a head this summer for many, many years. So I don't think this is, you know, exactly a new concept, but – it's a pretty interesting conspiracy theory that, you know, an NBA person brought up to me yesterday. I'm curious for your thoughts on that cynical take. Oh man, there, there are so many conspiracy theories, you know, involving Zion, like so much 
crazy stuff that I hear. And, you know, I would say like, just, just from what I hear, like, I feel like if you chase it down, like, I don't know, 25% of it is right. Just because he never talks, you know, like Zion just never talks. So like, you know, naturally there's just like stuff that, that floods the zone when the player just doesn't talk, Um, you know, regarding that specific one. uh, I don't know. I, 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 if I, I mean, I I can't say like with certainty what's going to happen because Zion is just incredibly unpredictable, but, uh, if I had to guess one way, I bet I would guess that he does sign the extension and just takes the 184, you know, uh, whatever it is, just because it's like I played 85 games and, you know, they, they actually have like a, a pretty good foundation here now. Like, I think if you add a healthy Zion, like there could be a playoff team next year, I, I think. And I mean, I especially for him to like ask for a trade this summer, man, I don't know like how well that would go over for him from a public relations standpoint. It's like, Hey man, this team, they put it like some pretty good pieces around you and you're only in year three and you hardly ever play and, and you're going to ask out now. Um, so I, I don't know if I buy that one. Well, so again, this is a conspiracy theory. It's not, it's not something I'm saying is definitely happening, but this, the cynical take was that it actually would be of mutual interest for him to be traded elsewhere. That's something that, that, that both sides were on board with and therefore the Pelicans wouldn't necessarily want him to come back right now and risk further injury and completely, I mean, that, that was because look, that was kind of the situation with Anthony Davis, right? Where they, they didn't want to play him because they didn't want him to get injured and, and tank his trade value before he obviously wanted to get out. That's a little bit different being that he was so clearly, you know, so clearly had his one foot out the door and maybe both foot feet already out the door and wore that that's all folks shirt to his last game and put <laughs> a deadline. And I mean, definitely, I think legitimately publicly requested a trade through Rich Paul, if, if my memory serves correctly. So different in that regard, but pretty similar tone in that in you know, the league actually had to step in and tell the Pelicans I had to play Anthony Davis because he was healthy. Um, it would be, it's just kind of funny, the parallels, I guess. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, you know, I can see, I guess, why people would think that. But I don't know. I mean, everything everything I've heard for, like, you know, like more than a month now is, like, he just legitimately wants to play ball. And, like, he, he misses, like, just, like, hooping when the lights are on. And, um, I mean, of course, you know, <laughs> take everything with a grain of salt. But I, I kind of – I don't know. I kind of do believe it. Like, I think he really – is just ready to get back out there. And like, the one thing I'll say about Zion is, you know, he's been described to me as kind of, kind of a showman, like almost like Kyrie a little bit. And that like, I don't know that he loves to do all the work, you know, outside of like the actual games. I mean, clearly, uh, <laughs> but I, I really do believe like he like loves playing basketball when the lights are on, like when there's a big crowd, like he enjoys performing, you know? Um, and that, you know, I've heard that for a couple of years, and I, I believe it to be true. Yeah, and to be fair, I mean, I really, I, I don't think that's the case. I, I agree with you. I think he wants to come back on the court. I think also, if there is any added motivation rather than just wanting to play, I think it's more sort of geared towards contract dollars rather than wanting to stage himself for other teams. Um, I, I think. Ultimately, um, man, I'm trying to get Sean Madua on here. He's called in, but it's not working. Um, I think ultimately, 
he's just seeing a team. I mean, again, I haven't talked to Zion just like you haven't. Um, or I, I mean, I, I guess I don't want to. I don't want to say that so definitively. Maybe you have, and you got to protect your your people that you're speaking with. But no, I'm me and Zion, no. me and Zion are chopping it up. No, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it seems pretty clear, like he's just a 21 year old kid or however old he is now, who just who just wants to get back out on the court with his teammates. And I think ultimately, um, the fact that they are set up to have kind of a winning situation, which is how they seem to be right before he um, he was out for the season in, in 2020. Um, you know, I, I think that's ultimately kind of, I've said ultimately four times now. Um, I, I just think he wants to also win. Like all, all these guys, I think everyone who comes into the league as a top lottery pick, from, you know, they've won all their lives. And when you get to the league and you kind of get smacked in the mouth and, get dealt loss after loss after loss and haven't made the playoffs, especially now that, that they have a chance to make it, that would seem to be a pretty enticing opportunity. Yeah, definitely. And like, I, I don't know. I don't know that he has like a ton of, a ton of like really close friends on the team right now. Um, but like, and you know, I like, you know, JJ called him a detached teammate. And I think, you know, I think that's been pretty accurate, but at the same time, like I could see a scenario where like, he comes into this thing, he's healthy and they win a little bit and like everything's fine. You know, like I, I could see like at the 20 game mark next year, like, Hey, we got Zion back and like, we're just good. And like this works now. Um, so, I mean, I think that's on the table too. I think uh, there's <laughs> a lot of stuff on the table. Look, winning cures a lot of things. Um, and I think it's also something that just, it's infectious and when when you're on the sideline watching it happening i think it's just natural to want to be a part of it uh, and you're right i think if he was a part of it you know, it'd, be, it'd be really interesting to see what could be the ripple effects a lot up in boston i mean back in december there was a lot of legitimate conversation about whether or not the Celtics were going to end up exploring trades for jalen brown this summer and you know, they make a couple of trades but at the deadline. Everything starts to click. They rock it up to the top of the Eastern Conference, and no one in the NBA is remotely prepared for Jalen Brown to be available. You know, anytime soon, maybe ever again. Um, so you know, that could be I mean, that that can't happen over four games in the, the final stretch run of the regular season, and and a playing you know win that gets. I mean, even. Um, you know, even winning one game and falling out. But look what happened with Memphis last year where they make a, kind of a, a semi-improbable run to the eight seed um, and they get that taste of the postseason and what winning, how hard winning is in the NBA. And they ultimately take a big, you know, leapfrog up the standings to be the two seed in the Western Conference this year. So, um, Mirio, you've been waiting patiently all episode long. What do you got for us, Mirio? Uh, hi, Jake and Christian. Thank you for doing this. Um, I had two it. questions. Uh, the first one was a little conspiratorial. Uh, so apologies in advance. But uh, Jake, you mentioned the the fact that um, it seems like from the outside, at least that based on the uh, Zion stepdad uh, radio today, uh, that Zion wants to play, but New Orleans does not want to let him play. Um, is it possible that 
it's because uh, they want to put, protect some potential trade value. I mean, this is an injury that KD had a while ago on OKC. And afterwards, you know, he's still KD, but he hasn't been driving to the rim as much since the foot injury. Now he can obviously just shoot from mid-range, but Zion doesn't quite have that same game. So is this just the Pelicans potentially protecting some trade value? Or are they just being uh, very cautious with it? Well, we definitely kind of went back and forth on that, that exact type of conspiracy a few minutes ago. I mean, I think to to answer your question, no matter what, whether it is just wanting to maintain the health of Zion for them in the long run, like that still does relate back to his trade value. Like an injured Zion Williamson doesn't help the Pelicans in any stretch. doesn't help them compete now. It doesn't help them continue to optimize the roster and the collection of assets that they have long term. So um, like to, to a certain extent, like there is definitely truth to that, that the Pelicans, no matter what, have a vested interest in keeping him bubble wrapped and healthy for next season, whether he's a Pelican or not, like that, that benefits them no matter what him coming back too early. If, if there's any such thing um, or him coming back and being injured, if the Pelican or getting injured, if the Pelicans do not view him as, medically capable of playing. It, it certainly doesn't benefit the Pelicans whether they want to keep him long-term or not, right, Christian? Yeah, I think so. And I'll say this, too. Like, I think last summer, um, like, you saw The Athletic come out with an article, um, basically, that, like, there are people who are around Zion who want him on a different team. Um, that was my guy, uh, Will Guillory and Joe Varden. Like, there was – I mean, I, I, I think that was, like, you know, good and, like, a good report and, like, true and, like, there was just a lot of that noise last summer. I mean, I don't, I mean, it was a, a miserable experience, experience for a lot of players going through that pandemic season and frankly, just being coached by Stan Van Gundy. It was just, I mean, I don't think there was one player who had an enjoyable experience on the Pelicans last season. So like, I think it makes sense why there was, you heard some of that noise last summer. Um, I mean, it's just a, it's just a different thing this year. Like Willie Green is really well liked by the players. Like these guys, I think it's like an environment they enjoy showing up to work in now. Um, so you just don't really hear as much of that noise as you used to. Mir, do you have another one for us? Uh, yeah. My second question is not really as much related to the Pelicans. I was just wondering, based on your report today, Jake, about the coaches, um, it sounds like there's a real potential for some of these NBA teams to just swap their coaches around. Uh, is there any real opportunity for assistant coaches to get a real opportunity here? Or are contenders uh, much more likely to just make the safe choice? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, we can relate this back to the Pelicans pretty easily, being that there are a lot of motivations at play behind certain head coaching hires around the league. Um, and, you know, as of now, the only two vacancies that are you know, pretty widely expected to occur in the league are with the Lakers and the Kings. And both those situations clearly have win-now mentalities to, to different degrees. The Lakers obviously trying to compete for a championship around LeBron as he continues to inch closer to 40. Uh, the Kings are desperate to end the longest ever active playoff streak uh, or, or playoff drought streak in NBA history. Um, so, I mean, do we, uh, that, that certainly doesn't point to the Kings hiring a first-time assistant to try to get them there. 
mean, maybe, maybe they will, but I fully expect them um, to want to hire someone who has experience, someone of the Terry Stott, Steve Clifford, Mike D'Antoni mold. Mike Brown's name gets mentioned with the Kings a lot. Um, you know, I think with the Lakers, the fact that it's guys like Quinn and Doc, I mean, yeah, I, I would expect them to be I would expect the Lakers to be focused on someone of a, a past head coaching, you know, especially with legitimate success, you know, variety and resume. I, I definitely expect that as well. But Christian, I mean, we've seen it with the Pelicans. Like a lot of times the coaching hire ends up being a reflection of what the front office thinks they need to do in order to stabilize their ship and, and, and make sure that, that their tenure, the executive and the front office's tenure is um, secure, not necessarily what's best overall for the team and for the franchise. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, it, it was, uh, you know, I think you reported on like, you know, essentially early, early in the season, like, you know, uh, David Griffin might've been on some thin ice. I mean, I think, I think that was definitely true. Like it was, it was getting dicey and tenuous here. And I think, you know, bringing in Willie Green has, has stabilized some things. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's been it's been interesting to see uh, the three head coaches in three years because I, I think all three of them are are very very different. Like I think Alvin Gentry and Stan Van Gundy like literally could not have been more opposite. Like it yeah. just just completely different ends of the spectrum. And like uh, you know, Willie is kind of somewhere in the middle and definitely more new school. Uh, it's you know it's kind of interesting too. Like a, a big point of contention those first two years under Alvin and Stan was how much influence the, the medical staff had. Uh, that was, you know, Griff brought in Aaron Nelson, who was in Phoenix forever. And like, I think both Alvin and Stan bristled that like, Oh my gosh, the guy who runs the medical team is going to have like this much influence in terms of like minutes and who's playing when. Um, so that was, uh, I think an issue, you know, the front office the medical team and the head coach needed to be more aligned on for sure. <laughs> yeah. I think, I remember exactly where I was. It was June of 2021. I was in Boston on this big ferry boat heading out to do a whale watching experience with my girlfriend. And I started texting some people on the league because someone told me uh, Willie Green's a legitimate candidate for the Pelicans job. They're actually they're, they're flying out to, to Phoenix to, to meet with them. And it ended up being – that part wasn't true. I remember hearing that uh, Trajan Langdon – and Zion were supposed to just go meet uh, Brandon Ingram out in Phoenix where, where, where B.I. was doing his offseason work. And um, they didn't actually meet with Willie at that at that playoff game where they went to the Suns-Western uh, Conference Finals. But you know, sure enough, he became a candidate. And I remember people saying at that time that, it, like, he would be a, head, a good head coach one day. Like, it wasn't his time yet. And so you, you kind of have to really give credit to the Pelicans for identifying him as someone that – could grow into this role. Now, I also think there was a lot of motivation to try to bring him involved and ultimately poach Chris Paul with him from Phoenix. I, I wrote that at the time, and I, I believe that to this day. I mean, that was, I think, a pie-in-the-sky situation all along. But the fact that it's worked out to this degree, um, where, again, we're not saying the Pelicans have reinvented the wheel or they've become a Western Conference contender, but to sur- to survive what they've done and to turn – the ship around to where they have been and be in the plant, the nine seed, um, you have to take your hat off to Willie Green. And I am curious to see how far he can, he can continue to grow this. Yeah. I mean, like 
no one's getting fired this summer, you know, which is uh, a nice change from you know, first two years on the beat. When you had to worry about that. Um, I mean, the Chris Paul angle of it is uh, really, really interesting, man. I mean, I, man, I, I can't help but uh, think about what this team would have looked like with, with that guy here. But I, I agree. It was um, pretty, pretty pie in the sky, but Chris Paul loves New Orleans, man. Like, I think he generally does have do like too. love in his heart for New Orleans and like, he understands the culture and like the people love him here. So like he vibes at the city, which is a really big thing. And like, I mean, it can't be overstated how close him and Willie are like, that is, that is a very real deep bond. Like Willie's told me like, yeah, he's like my brother. And I, I think it goes both ways too. Yeah. I remember I wrote this in one of my stories in last off season, Chris Paul, um, when he was with the Rockets, lobbied for Houston to, to bring on Willie as an assistant. Um, so I understand. I mean, a cynic would also say that the Pelicans got used by both Chris Paul and Kyle Lowry to get more money from teams elsewhere this summer. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, we've got Thales in for a call. Thales has been waiting patiently for a while. Um, take yourself on mute. Oh, no, he's gone. Thales. Thales, where'd you go? In the meantime, we're almost at the top of the hour here. Um, Christian, thank you so much for hopping on again. Um, I know it's not easy to carve out so much time uh, during the season. Um, like I did over at halftime, like I want to continue doing here. Um, you don't have to, but I've asked you questions for the last 55 minutes. I'm curious if, if uh, it's only fair to, 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 turn, to turn the tide. Do you have any questions for me? Oh, man. Uh, who do you think would be the best choice to be the Lakers head coach next year? Oof. I mean, I don't know. Someone was asking me this yesterday. And, um, I mean, if I'm the Lakers, like, I would definitely want it to be Quinn Snyder. I just, I mean, everyone I talked to yesterday said that there's a skepticism that Quinn would actually take that job. Um, but then someone texted me today after reading the story and said that they thought he would want the job. So um, right now we're still kind of in the silly season of it all. I mean, I, I just think what they what 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 the Lakers quote unquote need is someone who kind of like Byron Scott when he was the coach for the last two years of Kobe's tenure and signed him to a two year deal the exact same length. Um, as Kobe's final two-year, um, forty-eight and a half, I believe, million-dollar contract. Um, I think they just need to to find a veteran, who, or you know, a former player type of guy, maybe who LeBron respects, who LeBron's gone toe to toe with, or has worked with in the past in the postseason, and it's just kind of a three-year deal, because I would expect LeBron wants his max again this summer, and I believe. Um, our next caller, if we can squeeze him in here, Sean Madua can probably be more accurate CBA-wise than I can off the top of my head. But I believe he can only sign a two-year max um, if he does want the max this summer, triggering the over 38 rule because he'll turn 38 in December. So that would be a two-year extension after the last year on his deal that is 2022-2023. So I think they just need someone for a three-year contract who – can kind of just be the the lifeguard in the final hours before the pool closes of LeBron's career, to use a pretty terrible metaphor. Um, 
Shamit, do we have you here, man? Hey, what's up, y'all? Can you hear me? We got you. How are you, man? Thank you for joining us. Oh, that's sweet. Hey, hey, uh, great, great show, uh, y'all. Um, I think you're right about the over 38 rule, uh, Jake, and I think it'd be pretty interesting to see what they end up doing from a coaching standpoint on that. I wonder if they'd consider someone like Kenny Atkinson um, to someone to just kind of juice up the offense. But um, anyways, my, my buzzer beater question for you two, um, <laughs> it's kind of a hypothetical here. What was your grade rating impression of the Memphis deal where they traded Stephen Adams and Bledsoe in the 10th pick for essentially Jonas and a few spots back well, and, they, and they traded like a future Lakers pick. What was your grade at the time? Uh, what would your grade have been if they were giving the 11th or 12th pick to Memphis right now with LA, if, if LA had been in the play-in and what is your grade if in this hypothetical, the Pelicans get to keep that Lakers pick and are instead giving Memphis the two seconds. Man, every time I write a story, I usually end up forgetting to include a detail that I talked about that was interesting. And this is that. I should have written about that yesterday or today because I, I was talking to someone, I was talking with someone uh, from Memphis yesterday about just how dramatic the Lakers fall has been for the, the sake of that pick. And the fact that, I think I saw you tweet about this. I think the fact that the Pelicans' success has also kind of played a fact or a factor in pushing the, the Lakers down the standings and giving them another potential top 10 pick is a fascinating subplot. It's a huge win, obviously, for the Pelicans. It definitely changes the value of that deal. Um, my initial thoughts on the trade were that Memphis clearly had a target that they, that they had in mind and they're willing to pay for it and they're willing to take on Eric Bledsoe's contract to do so. And I kind of thought it was a pretty good deal for both sides until I realized that the, that the guy, I mean, no, no offense to Zaire Williams, I believe is who they took. Um, I don't think that was the target for, for Memphis. I think they, they wanted Franz Wagner from, from my accounts. Um, Christian, I will, uh, I will defer to you here for the final, the final take. This train is uh, going crazy, so sorry if you hear it. But uh... <laughs> You're good, man. It's the beauty of live audio. Uh, hey, man, uh, New Orleans is crazy. Uh, I mean, I, I think I I was like fairly positive about it at the time. Like, I think I would have said like a B at the time because I think it was clear like they needed to do anything to get off of Eric Bledsoe's contract. Like that was <clears throat> that was a rough, rough year. Um, I mean, he just. You know, I don't know if he's washed or he didn't try or it was a combination of both, but like that, I don't think that could have continued. And, you know, Stephen Adams, like, I don't think he uh, particularly enjoyed playing for Stan. It would have been interesting to see him in a different context, like Willie Green, but I think a basketball fit, like with, you know, two guards last year they had who couldn't play pick and roll plus Zion, like it just didn't make very much sense fit wise. So like, I was like, yeah, Jonas, Jonas is a better basketball fit with Zion um, like seven spots, that's not a terrible price to pay moving down in the draft to, to get off of those contracts. Um, and, I mean, I think I, I like it more than I did then, you know, definitely, because it's looking like Pellers are going to have something like the eighth pick. Um, you know, I, I like what they did at 17, Trey Murphy, even though uh, you know, he hasn't played a ton during his rookie season, but, like, I think he's you know, definitely a kid with some potential. So I would probably say A, A-minus now. No, it's, listen, you could, 
you can poke a lot of holes in what David Griffin has done as an executive. He's clearly been an ex- excellent trader in terms of recruiting, you know, more value than I think a typical uh, value above replacement executive, let's say, in terms of uh, trade returns. I think he might lead the league in that category if I'm being completely objective here. I, I, I'll just off the top of my head, the Anthony Davis trade when there was really no options outside of the Lakers for deal versus destinations where he wanted to play to get all they got back for him. But Drew, you know, they kind of generated a small bidding war and, and that deal itself, the CJ deal, um, they've made some pretty some pretty successful trades here. They really have. Um, all right, I think that will do it for us here, um, Sean. Unless you got unless you got one more thing. No, I was just gonna thank you guys for for giving me the time and thank you for doing the show. So I appreciate it. You got it. All right, thank you everyone for for tuning in here. We definitely had over seventy people in at one point for our first show. Um, so really grateful for everyone popping through. We're going to be coming here live pretty much every Tuesday and Thursday. Um, the goal is four to five Eastern, like I did, um, back at the old shop. Um, if you guys are so inclined, um, please follow and subscribe to myself and the show on here. Please don't aggregate this. You'll get notifications about every time we schedule an upcoming episode, um, and, and, and all the info whenever we, we do have a new live room coming up. Um, and that way you'll, you'll, you'll never miss any of the content we're bringing. Um, and the episodes, one of my, I mean, the best part of the call and app, in my opinion, is the fact that, um, all these shows get, get saved and you can listen to them again as a podcast form, which I know is a big, uh, complaint from my, my previous stop. So, um, that will definitely be edited and put up pretty quickly here. And I'll be posting that on Twitter, uh, after every time we do do these shows um so yeah great first show and thank you so much again to christian clark for popping on here man um i hope to see you down the line soon if not uh before vegas and then at summer league and uh good luck covering your first uh postseason action on the beat man hey man thanks for having me on and uh great job on the naming of the show Listen, it's uh, something I often find myself saying, uh, so might as well steer into the curve, right? <laughs> I like it. All right. Take care, man. Thanks, everybody. And uh, working on a guest for Thursday, but uh, we, we should be back Thursday afternoon around the same time. See ya.